Welcome First Church this morning. Nice, nice, cool, crisp morning. That was Audrey Irving on the piano who was called in on late notice last night. Kind of late last night as Sharon is not feeling well today. We have a birthday girl in the house. We have 97 candles put on that birthday cake. I'm not so sure that Bruce can get it done right, but maybe we got uh, maybe we got some ladies to help him out or some grandkids or some great grandkids that probably count to 97. Happy birthday, Sue. Wish, wish Sue a happy birthday. The uh, flowers here on the altar are uh, given in honor of Sue and her birthday. So, again, congratulations to you, Sue, and enjoy your day. Um, we also have some flowers on the altar in remembrance of, of Jean Preter's service and a gift from her grand, great-grandchildren. Uh, on to uh, Wonderful Wednesdays, are continuing this week on the back of the bulletin. You can find some photos from last week. And the menu this uh, Wednesday is potato soup, ham, beans. We always have the favorite chicken noodle. Dinner is open to anyone in the community, and we hope you invite you and your friends, neighbors, to come on Wednesdays and, and be part of our meal and gathering. Next Sunday we'll be receiving new members. Please see Pastor Joel if you're interested in joining First Church. Would you please rise with me for the call to worship? The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? This King of glory. The Lord Almighty, he is a King of glory. A change in the song, our opening song. Um, we will sing out of the blue hymnal. Hymn number 277, The Church's One Foundation.
Good morning, all you guys. How are you? Good. I have... Oh, can you grab my children's prayer book real quick? I have a scripture verse for you, and I forgot my book, so I apologize. (laughs) Thank you. So today I have a really neat children's chat for you guys. We're going to be talking about the armor of God. Have you guys ever heard about the armor of God before? Some of you have. Some of the older ones, have you heard it? Have you heard about the armor of God yet? We're going to learn real quick about the armor of God today. And the scripture verse that I want for you guys is real simple. It's from Psalms. It's 37 chapter, chapter 37, verse 36, verse 7. It says, God, your love is precious. You protect people as a bird protects her young under her wing. So a mama bird, when she has a baby, she scoops them under their wing and she keeps them warm and she keeps them safe. That's what your mom and dad does for you guys right now, but that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. But God has given us some things to help us be prepared, and it's called the armor of God. So first here I have the helmet of salvation. So in this helmet is to protect your mind, protect your mind from thoughts or um, different things in the world that aren't right. But God protects your mind and keeps you safe. Another thing is the chest plate of righteousness. And this protects your body. This protects your body from maybe something that could hurt you. And then we have the sword. This is the word of God. And the sword is to protect you from lies. Because there's a lot of lies in the world. But God's word, this is the word of of God here. This protects you against all those lies. But then we have also a shield. And this shield protects you from harmful words or actions. So this is also very important. And then a shield is like you put it in front of your body. So that will protect you from that. But then we also have a belt because we need to hold our pants up. So we have a belt, and this is the belt of truth. And this is also, um, this will protect your will. But it also means that Satan lies to us, but God helps us as believers or Christians to know God's truth. And then I have some boots because we have to wear shoes, right? Okay, so we have boots, and this is for peace and for the gospel. And this is help us to be ready because when you guys go out and you guys walk, And you maybe tell your friends, do you have to go to them? So you walk to them. So you walk to share the gospel of God. But then the greatest gift that he gave us at all is his holy Bible. This will give you everything that you need to know the truth of God and for him to give you the proper words. So I have a real quick lesson for you guys. So I have my vase full of water right here, and I have two oranges. One orange has its peeling left on, 
and one orange I peeled last night. So the armor of God is like the shell of this orange. The shell is protecting the orange, right, until you eat it. So the shell is God's armor. And what is it, what is it doing? Floating. Floating. It's protecting the orange from sinking to the bottom of that vase. Do you guys think this one's going to sink, or do you think it's going to float? Sink? Why do you think that? Does that have the peeling on? Let's see what it does. Oh. It floated to the bottom. It floated to the bottom because it didn't have the outside shell. And the armor of God is like our outside shell. It keeps us safe, and it is God's keeping us afloat up here. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, the Lord makes uh, the world makes us feel big and I feel small. Still God, you listen when I call. My soft words whisper in your ears and then you come to ease my fears. You call me when I feel afraid and you help me to not or to be brave. You stay beside me day and night and you always keep me in your sight. Thank you, God. Your love, I know, protects me everywhere I go. Amen. We have had no recent fatalities in our war efforts in Afghanistan since December, in Iraq, uh, since mid-February, but now we have added 400 troops to the effort in Syria, bringing to about 1,000 U.S. troops involved in-country in Syria, about 4,000 in Iraq, and about 9,000 in Afghanistan. So keep all of those and their families in your minds and in your prayers. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, you are our God, and we are here this morning to worship you and to lift your name up on high. I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you, that we would be able to set aside any distractions that that may be uh, be trying to take our our focus away from this place and this time. Uh, But Lord, help us to set those things aside and put our focus completely and fully on you this morning. Uh, Lord, many of us carry burdens into this place. Um, some are physical. We have health issues and, and concerns that are, that are weighing us down. Other burdens, Lord, um, are ones that aren't easily seen. They're emotional. They're spiritual. They're mental. Um, but they weigh us down just as much as those physical burdens. And so I pray that you'd help us to set those aside as well. In Matthew 11, you, your son, Jesus Christ, promises that those who, who come to him um, can lay their burdens at his feet and take up his yoke, which is easy and light. Um, help us, Lord, to, to trust in that promise. Help us as we carry the burdens of this life that we'd be able to come to you and lay them at your feet uh, so that you can and, and trust completely that you can handle them 
uh, in a way, Lord, that is according to your will. Uh, Lord, this morning I, 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 we want to acknowledge and celebrate life. Um, Lord, as, and, and especially we pray for uh, Sue and her, her family as they gather to celebrate her birthday today. We thank you uh, for that and the opportunity to, to be reminded of the joy of life. Um, this week we're also reminded of the hope and joy of eternal life. And so we pray also for, for Casper Holscher's family and Jean Preter's family that you would instill them uh, the peace and comfort that can, and strength that can come only from you, as well as the hope and joy of eternal life uh, spent with you for your children. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and all these promises you make us in your word. And I pray that we would be able to, to hold them fast um, in each of our own lives and in the life of this church. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Those helping with the offering, please come forward at this time. Our designated offering for this morning goes to support our Daily Bread Soup Kitchen in Lima, Ohio. Um, there's also a change in, in the song that the choir is singing for us this morning. They're going to be blessing us uh, with, Lord, I believe in you.
may be seated. Our scripture this morning comes from the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Please follow along in your bulletins or your Bibles. Hear the words of Jesus. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. He will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on a stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. We will continue our worship this morning with the uh, hymn number 372, Living for Jesus.
Amen. You may be seated. Before we jump into our passage today, I have to to make a comment about something I forgot to say last week, and that is what a wonderful job Tori did um, when she preached. This is two weeks ago now. Um, Allie and I were, were out of town for the weekend, and, and we asked Tori to fill in. I have to, I have to share with you that when I first showed up, I asked her about that idea. I said, you know, how, how do you feel about preaching? Is this something you're interested in? Do you want to do? Um, during my time as a youth pastor and associate pastor, I had opportunities to preach, and, and that really helped me grow. It terrified me at first, but it really helped me to grow. Um, and so I wanted to give her that same opportunity. And, and I remember when I first showed up last summer, she looked at me and said, no, that is not happening. <laughs> so I said, all right, well, we'll think about that. And then uh, when, when I realized I'd be gone that Sunday, it was around Christmas time, I asked Tori if she had changed her mind, I guess. I didn't even really get to that point. I walked into her office and said, hey, Tori, i got to ask you a favor. And she looks at me, she goes, you want me to preach, don't you? <laughs> I said, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, but she did a wonderful job. Uh, Allie and I actually had an opportunity to to listen to her on the radio. We had downloaded the iHeartRadio app, and we were in Detroit, and we were able to. We we're sitting in the parking lot of a Barnes and Noble, and caught the second half of the service, uh, and and listen to her. And she did a wonderful job. And I heard a lot of good feedback from you as well. So I can't wait to to hear her preach in person again when the opportunity arises. Hopefully, you won't be as as scared about it that time, you know. But but. Um, but thank you for filling in and, and doing a great job with that. Uh, let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here and to, to preach your word this morning. I pray that you would uh, help us to focus in on you at this time and in, in your word and what it has to say for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that as, along with John the Baptist uh, that said, uh, I must decrease, um, he must increase. I pray that that would be the same for, for me and, and everyone gathered here this morning. Um, help us to to put our focus completely and fully on you and what you have to say to us. In Christ we pray. Amen. So this parable that we're, we're looking at this morning, uh, it, it has a very similar uh, context to the one we looked at last week. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, uh, you can see that it, it follows immediately after the passage we looked at last week. Uh, we looked at the parable of the two sons. And uh, today we're looking at the parable of the tenants or the wicked tenants. Sometimes uh, different Bible translations uh, have different descriptions there. But this is immediately following uh, the passage that we looked at before. And so the context is very similar. If you remember, Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and the elders. And the, um, at the, end, the conclusion of this parable, it mentions the Pharisees as well. Uh, and in essence, he was simply speaking to the religious leaders of his day. Sometimes we get caught up with, with the different terms for them, whether the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, when, when the New Testament talks about these different groups, they're talking about the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day. So we can sometimes get caught up in those details, but, but for our purpose today, uh, it's just important to remember that, that that's the, the people he was directing the parable to were the religious leaders. And the issue at stake here, the issue that, that brought on these parables was that they were questioning Jesus' authority, questioning his, his right to, to say and do the things that he'd been saying and doing throughout his ministry. They questioned whether he was uh, truly sent from God. Um, and as we'll see, as, as Jesus alludes to in this parable, that Jesus was even more than that. He wasn't just a prophet, wasn't just a messenger from God, but he's God's own son himself. And so the previous parable uh, addressed the religious leader's response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, right? 
One son had, uh, had said initially he wouldn't follow uh, the, the father's command, uh, but eventually did what the father asked. The other one initially said they would do it, but didn't follow through. And so that was the issue that was discussed before. And this parable continues and builds on that theme and expands this analogy that he began in the last parable. And so as we uh, begin to study parables, and, and, and it's helpful in, to understand a parable, to take a look at the characters. I think it's a really helpful thing, whether you find a parable like we're looking at today or, or if you're reading uh, through, through the Gospels on your own, Jesus loved to teach in parables. It was one of his, one of his favorite uh, teaching methods, and, and a significant number of his uh, teachings in the New Testament are in parable form. And so as you're reading along, one of the, one of the helpful things to do in order to understand and, and get, get the most out of these parables is to identify the characters in the story and what they may relate to in the original context. And it's important to start there with, with Jesus' audience and, and, and what this parable would have meant for them hearing it for the first time. We often like to skip over and, and go right to, what does this mean for me? That's an important question to ask. It's important to, to take a, a passage of Scripture and apply it to ourselves and, and talk about what it means for us in our modern context. But we don't want to just jump the gun and go right there. We need to take a look at what it means, what, what the original audience would have heard and how they would have understood, understood it. We will have an opportunity, in a sense, um, to translate it into our own setting, but we must start with the original context. If we don't, we may overlook something or miss out on what Jesus intended to say. The problem is, though, that sometimes we're, well, sometimes we are 2,000 years removed from when Jesus first spoke these parables. And so some of the things that are said and spoke may seem strange to us, but it's important to remember that, that in their context, when they heard it, it would have sounded uh, much more natural, much more uh, common uh, for them, and, and it would have been easier for them to understand but we can still learn from it and we can still translate it into our own context. And so let's take a look at the, the characters that are listed here in this parable. First of all, we have the master, the, the owner of the vineyard. And this person represents God the Father. Right? The, this master is the one who owns, he prepares, he furnishes the vineyard and who assigns responsibility to the tenants. Very similar to the, the father in the previous parable, this master is the one who is in charge the one who, who doles out the responsibility and, and, and is asking something of his people to, to follow through. You know, the previous parable, the, the father asked his two sons to do something. Here, he's putting tenants in charge to take care of the vineyard. So the master, the owner, represents God the Father. You may not think of this next one as a, as a character, but the next thing uh, that we can draw a parallel to is the vineyard. Uh, and the vineyard represents the people of God. I mentioned this last week that we take a little bit uh, closer look at what this means. The vineyard uh, is a common analogy throughout the Bible for God's people. It begins, uh, there's several passages in the Old Testament we could point to, but probably the, the most direct analogy would be Isaiah 5, chapters one, or <laughs> chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And this is, in my, in my translation, the heading for this section is, is called the Song of the Vineyard. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. The loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared, out, cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. 
Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for the vineyard than what I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah and the vines he delighted in. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. You see right there within that passage from Isaiah, it even identifies directly that the vineyard represents God's people. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people were rep- represented by Israel and, and Judah. Um, and in the New Testament, we see uh, that same imagery, that same connection being made between a vineyard and God's people through Jesus' disciples. In John 1, uh, 1 through, excuse me, John 15, 1 through 5, uh, Jesus makes that same vineyard imagery to describe the relationship between him, the Father, and his disciples. Again, that's John 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking and says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus even takes this, this analogy, in a sense, to another level, because uh, not only does he describe his people, his followers, the church, in a sense, as as a vineyard, but he, he talks about the intimate relationship between vine and branch, right? Christ is the vine and we are the branches. And, and, and he, it's, it's by remaining in him, it's by having that relationship with him that we're able to bear fruit. Um, and that's important to remember as we continue to, to take a look at this parable. Jesus, um, Jesus emphasizes here the importance of a relationship with him and the importance of being in him in order for us to bear fruit. And so whether it was Israel in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament, the vineyard often represented God's people. And notice here, it's important, as we look at the parable and even in these, these two passages I read from Isaiah and from John, uh, it's important to note who establishes that vineyard, who plants it, who, who prepares it. It's God, right? God is the one who establishes his people. God is the one who calls them and, and brings them to himself. Uh, I, I mentioned... Um, in a recent sermon, a passage from Ephesians 2 about how we are dead in our sins and our transgressions, said dead people can't save themselves, right? Grapes can't plant themselves either, right? We need someone. God is the one who, who planted that vineyard and cultivated it. He's the one who calls people to himself. God has already done what's needed to establish his kingdom. And, God made, and, and he did it by making salvation and eternal life possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And apart from him, we would be lost. Right? And that's why, you know, when Jesus talks about the vine and the branches and the importance of being in a relationship and, and, and with him, uh, God's the one that makes that all possible. Apart from him, we'd be lost, but it's in him and through him that we have the hope of eternal life, that we have the hope of being part of his kingdom. So we see the master as God, the vineyard as his people, and then we also have the tenants. 
uh, the people to whom God rented the vineyard out. Uh, and these tenants represent the religious leaders. I mentioned that these are the people that Jesus was speaking directly to. These, this is the original audience of the parable. And as we see, we, there, there's a connection between, there's a parallel between the tenants and the religious leaders of their day. It was actually common practice at the time for a wealthy landowner to rent out his vineyard uh, to, to people who would cultivate it and, and, and grow the crop on his behalf. Um, at harvest time, then, the landowner would receive a set amount or a certain percentage of the crop. And so, that, again, I made, a, I made a comment that's important to take a look at this parable from the original context. That's something that may be foreign to us, but to Jesus' original audience, that would have been very familiar. It was a common practice. And so they would have understood what was expected of good tenants. Um, some of you may be landlords, and you can understand what we're talking about here, right? But remember... Um, and so this is, excuse me, so this is the background of the parable, something that they would have been understood and been familiar with. It's important to remember that parables, uh, I mentioned last week, are earthly stories that deal with spiritual realities. Jesus used stories, images, and situations that would have been familiar to his audience in order to drive a point home. You know, it's easy to, to, to use uh, stories and images in order to help people understand. You know, I do that, you know, at times during my sermons. You know, I'll, I'll mention something from my own life or from a shared experience we may have. Uh, that's, it, in essence, what Jesus was doing through his parables. We're 2,000 years removed from, from the context he originally spoke this in, and so sometimes we need to be reminded of what his audience would have simply taken for granted. And so the religious leaders then were the people whom God appointed to take care of his vineyard. They had a responsibility to cultivate, care for, and harvest the crop at the appointed time. In other words, they were called to lead the people of God. They were called to care for them, to teach them, to love them, and to correct them when needed. And as we'll see from this parable, they did not live up to that calling. The last uh, group of characters that we have in this parable are the servants and eventually the son. These are the people that God sent uh, at, the, at the appropriate time to, to take care of the harvest, right? These are the ones that were, were sent on behalf of the master to collect uh, what was owed him, his portion of the harvest. But instead of living up to their end of the bargain, these tenants, these wicked tenants as they're described, beat and killed them. So finally, the master sends his own son, thinking that they will finally take him seriously. That because he's flesh and blood, because he's the master's own son, they will listen to him. But unfortunately, they don't either. They, they kill him as well. And in their greed, they think that they can keep everything for themselves and not give the master what to do him. In the same way, God, throughout Israel's history, sent prophets and messengers to the people of Israel. People that were, that were sent on behalf of God to share uh, what God uh, intended for his people. To try to correct them when they went off path. To try to, to point them to God. But the people didn't listen. They often mistreated these prophets and sometimes even killed them. And eventually, God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. Uh, not just a prophet, not just like Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of these other prophets, uh, but, but God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, he's greater than a prophet. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, 1 and 2 talk about this. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also 
he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided uh, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. See, Jesus isn't just another good guy, not just another messenger from God, but he is God himself. He is the exact representation of God um, in human form. And so uh, God sends, sent his son, Jesus Christ, but he too would be rejected, beaten, and killed. This parable talks about how they threw him outside the walls, which in a sense is a reference to his crucifixion outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And so what we see here in this story, we got these characters who, who represent different, uh, different parts of God's people. God himself, uh, his prophets, his son, Jesus Christ, and then the leaders of Israel. And the people themselves. This parable, in a sense, describes kind of a bird's eye view of salvation history. Salvation history is God's redemptive work in the world. You know, starting in the Garden of Eden when sin first entered. uh, Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Ultimately, in the recreation and the new creation itself. God was and is active in the world. Saving his people. Drawing them to himself through Christ. And by the work of the Holy Spirit. And over... Throughout, throughout the history, God sent prophets and teachers over and over again, but his people rejected them. Eventually, he sent his own son, and even he was rejected and killed. And so finally, the master himself will return and set things straight. And what, some, what will come of these wicked tenants, Jesus asks us here, that's the question he poses to his audience. What, what is the master going to do with these people? And in answering that, they said they will be destroyed, and the vineyard will be given to those who produce good fruit. See, this is the crux of the parable. God desires his people, especially those whom he tasks with leadership, to produce good fruit. And by posing the question, as Jesus did, he was, he was in a sense, asking the, the leaders to, to pronounce judgment on themselves. He was trying to get them to see that they were those wicked tenants, that they were the people who were, who were ignoring God's calling in their lives, who were not living up to what God desired for them to do. And Jesus, the one whom they rejected, will become the cornerstone. See, the cornerstone is the, that stone that's the, it's, it's the, what's the most important part of the building. It's what holds the walls together and makes sure that the building is built on a firm foundation. Uh, there's also the keystone, which is often used at times in, in Scripture, which is the stone at the top of the arch, which holds it all together and supports the arch. See, Christ is the foundation, the one on whom everything will be built. And without him, we will crumble and fall. This passage that Jesus quotes is from Psalm 118 about the cornerstone. The, the one that was rejected will become the cornerstone. It's interesting, if, if you remember this um, this passage takes place during Holy Week. These parables that we're going to be looking at all took place in the last few days of his life. And so, so just prior to this passage uh, was Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate here pretty soon, when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and, and they waved palm branches and welcomed him as king and, and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a Hebrew phrase. It means save us. Lord, save us. And it's a, actually a, a quotation from Psalm 118, just before this passage about the cornerstone, uh, there's, this, there's this cry out to God, Lord, save us. 
And so it's interesting. Jesus had just heard that, that same phrase, that same prayer uh, just days before. And here he is comparing himself to that cornerstone, which is mentioned in those same verses. And so with this context in mind, what does this mean for us? What is this? How do we draw this parable into our lives today? I think for, there's, there's several questions we need to ask ourselves. First is, am I a tenant? Right? We talked about how the tenants are the religious leaders of this day. And so does this really apply to us? You know, it may apply to, say, the teachers and preachers and missionaries of our world, the professional Christians, right? I read this passage and I can see, like, all right, as a pastor, as someone who works in the church and is, and is tasked with the responsibility of spiritual leadership, I can see how this directly applies to me. And, and, but, but my question for us today is, are, is it only speaking to, to those who are paid to do ministry? Is it speaking only to those appointed to positions like elder and deacon? Or is this speaking to all of us? It may be easy to look at it in that way, but I believe the answer lies in the fact that the New Testament clearly states that we're all called to ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to ministry. If you're drawing breath today, God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so he's calling you to, fill that, to live that out. The Great Commission is for all of us, not just the select few. Ephesians 4, uh, 11 through 13 says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, it's not just about, it didn't say Christ gave these different people, these pastors, these teachers, these preachers, in order to do the works of, the, of, of service. It says that he gave those people in order to equip others for works of service. And so my job is to help you to serve, to equip you to serve the Lord. God, through the Holy Spirit, gives each one of us gifts and talents to use for his kingdom. And we're all called to work in his vineyard. And so really, this parable does apply to each and every one of us. As, as New Testament believers, as followers of Christ, we're all called into the, to the harvest field. We're all called to work for him, in a sense. And so then that, that makes this parable even more important for us today, right? As, as First Church of New Knoxville, as as people desperately trying to follow Christ in everything we do. How does this, what does this mean for us? Well, in closing, there's a few questions I think are important for us to ask ourselves. First of all, what have you done with Jesus? These wicked tenants were, were tasked with cultivating this vineyard, with, with caring for this vineyard. We're given that responsibility. But when, God, when, when the master sent his servants, when he sent his own son, they rejected him, beat him, killed him. They wanted nothing to do with what the master desired and what was supposed to happen. So the question is, what, have, what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to be like those wicked tenants and, and reject him? Say, we don't need you, God. We don't need your authority. We don't need your guidance in our lives. We can do this all on our own. Or are we going to receive him for ourselves? Are we going to submit to his authority? See, in a sense, God, has, God hasn't, doesn't send prophets today in the same way that he sent them in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, prophets had to come in order to bring a message from the Lord. Uh, and the, one of the main reasons they had to do that is because they didn't have any written record. They didn't have any, any, um, anything that they could look to and say that this was God's will for us. This is God's word. Um, at different times, they had different pieces of it. But as a whole, there, there wasn't anything there. And so God needed to send people directly to them and say, this is what God wants you to do. 
Uh, today we have a pretty good advantage over several of, uh, you know, over through the course of God's people and God's history because we do have a written record of God's word. We have his word, the Bible, which we can look to, which speaks to us today, which, which provides guidance and direction. This is how God continues to speak to us. And so are we going to, are we going to submit to that authority? Are we going to listen to it? Are we going to reject it and, and say we can handle this on our own? One of the parts of our mission statement is that we will empower lives through God's living the word, the Bible. Are we going to receive that? Are we going to, are we going to look to God's word for guidance and direction? Or are we going to try to, try to make up our own way through this life? And they receive, are we going to receive Christ or reject him as the rightful owner of our lives? See, Jesus is the head of this church. Not me, not the elders, not anybody in particular. It's Christ is head. As Savior and Lord. And so are we going to embrace him as that or are we going to reject him? Are we going to submit to authority or are we going to try to live life on our own? Another good question for us to consider is are we producing fruit? See, that was the, that was the direction that Jesus was going with this parable. The question was, was were these tenants producing fruit? says that the, the, that the master will strip the, the tenants of this vineyard. The kingdom of God will be taken from these people and given to those who produce good fruit. You see, what, we all have a place in the vineyard. So the question is, what is your place in the vineyard? Where is your vineyard? What is your calling and purpose in this life? Well, we can seek to know God and live out his will in whatever context you find ourselves in. Having a calling doesn't mean we have to give up all of our stuff and move to Africa to be a missionary. Having a calling means living faithfully for the Lord wherever he has placed you. And so that means being a faithful mother or father, or husband and wife, being a faithful worker at your job and, and being a faithful member of, of this church or wherever you may call home. See, that's what it means to, to serve and to live out that calling. You know, I think of... Uh, uh, I spent some time with Lois Haberkamp before she passed away. And, and I remember one day she asked me, you know, she'd been in the nursing home for some time and wasn't able to return home. And I remember her asking me, like, right, what, what, is, what am I still doing here? In a sense, you know, she was ready. She was ready to go home. She was ready to be with the Lord. Um, her health was failing her. She knew she wasn't going to return to her, her physical home. And I remember telling her, like, you know, you're here because maybe God has something for you to do here in the nursing home. There's nurses here that you interact with every day. There's, you got neighbors Right here in the nursing home. said, maybe God has something for you here. You know, and I believe that's the case for all of us. Whether we're in the nursing home, whether we're in our schools or our jobs and our family, God has, called, God has placed us here for a reason. And so we need to, to seek him out, seek his will for whatever context we find ourselves in. You see, we're all ambassadors for Christ in our, in our own context. So we need to look for our vineyard. We need to know what God's calling us to do. And then we need to take steps in order to cultivate and produce good fruit. Sometimes that requires pruning. A good, any gardener, anybody who, who works with, with plants knows that sometimes you need to prune in order to produce good fruit. That means we need to cut away the things that are not healthy for us. Cut away the things that aren't good, right, that are keeping us from really producing fruit. That's an important part of gardening. And sometimes we need to do that in our own lives. We need to prune away those things that are keeping us from really pursuing the Lord. We need to prune away those things that are they're keeping us from, as a church, really pursuing the Lord and living out our calling. That's a hard thing to do. Pruning is not easy. But it's an important step in order to produce good fruit. 
But not just pruning. We need to find ways to water, to nourish our vineyard. We need to find ways to, to, to put ourselves in a position to grow and to be healthy and to be strong. You know, the Bible's clear that we don't make ourselves better people. We don't make ourselves stronger uh, Christians or better followers of Christ. But we can put ourselves in a position to grow and to be healthy and to allow God to work in our lives. And so just like a plant needs sunlight and water and nourishment, uh, we need to put ourselves in a position to receive those things as well spiritually so that we can grow and produce good fruit. And it's important to, to, to make a distinction You know, God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. So we may look at something from a world's perspective and say, this is not a very successful thing, right? I'm not producing the results that I feel like I should. You know, uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not standing on a street corner preaching, right? So am I really producing fruit that God desires? But when we think of it in terms of, of, of results, We're looking at it from a worldly perspective, from a business model. We're asking ourselves whether we're successful or not. But that's not what God is interested in. God's interested in whether we're faithful. Are we following him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we loving others, loving him and loving others as ourselves? Those are the things that God is concerned with. And and sometimes results follow. Sometimes they don't. But the important thing is that we are faithful and we're following him. And it's not just about producing fruit in a, in outside of ourselves in our vineyard, but it's also about producing fruit in our own lives. Do we have the fruits of the Spirit? Are they evident? Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those fruits of the Spirit being produced in your own life? Or are there things that you need to do in order to, co- in order to put yourself in a position to grow more in Him? See, this journey of life, this, it's about following Him and becoming more like Him. And that's not always an easy thing. Sometimes there's difficult things we have to do. We have to prune away some of those parts of our lives that need to be pruned. But we need to, but overall, it's about following him. It's about going hard after him. And when our focus is on that, then we will produce good fruit. If our focus is on ourselves and trying to make ourselves Lord of our lives, if we're trying to take this vineyard for our own, then that's never going to end well. We need to submit to him and look to him as the rightful owner of the vineyard. And in doing so, we'll produce good fruit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings us life and hope and joy. And sometimes words of correction. So I pray that you would uh, help us now to, to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, where is our vineyard? How can we serve you faithfully in the place that you've called us? And how can we put ourselves in a position to produce the kind of fruit that you desire? In Christ I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in closing uh, number 376, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus.
may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.